following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Break communion together uh, for the first time in 58 years, I think, is what it feels like to me. So um, we have uh, uh, the little single whatever. Uh, portion, right, wafer, uh, morsel and sip, all in one package, so everybody can get their own. It's not the way we typically do it, but we want to uh, remember the Lord's death, um, his body and blood together, and do that together. That's why we've been uh, hesitant to do it until now. So we praise the Lord for that, and somebody thought up prepackaged communion set, so praise the Lord for that. Anyway, okay, so movie none. We are continuing our work in a gospel of Mark. Chapter 10, gospel of Mark, uh, verses 46 through 52, and that's page 847 in the Pew Bibles. And just to catch you up, um, if you have not been with us uh, or if you've forgotten, uh, Jesus has been making his way south from Galilee through the region of Perea, east of the Jordan River. Uh, and now he and his disciples, as well as a crowd of um, people that are following him and want to listen to him, but also a crowd of pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem for Passover. Um, they've all crossed the Jordan River and have now come to Jericho. You may have heard of Jericho before, made famous by the Veggie Tales. Um, pickles jumping around in the desert, right? Or cucumber, sorry, cucumber. All right, well, can't win them all. All right, so Jericho, a city in the Old Testament, as you may remember, where Joshua and the Israelites marched around the city seven times over seven days, and then at God's command blew the trumpets, and the walls of the city uh, came tumbling down. Right? I've had the privilege of being there to see that place. And uh, archaeologists say this, uh, this: when this city was destroyed, the walls did not cave in on the city. They caved out. That doesn't happen. Walls don't cave out, but they caved out making a ramp for the Israelites to march right up into the city and and wipe them out. Then, so just a point of interest there, I guess. The site of that battle, the ruins of this city in the Old Testament, is about a mile from the New Testament city of, of Jericho, um, where Herod the Great had uh, set up his winter palace. You know, because when you're in Israel, you need to uh, go northwest for the winter, or northeast, sorry. But, um, that's what they did anyway. So somewhere in between the old city of Jericho and the new city of Jericho is where our account takes place this morning. And this is also Mark's last recording of Jesus healing anyone. Um, so let's look at that text and then we'll pray together. Yeah. Chapter 10 and verse 46. And it came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, 
was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And he called a blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, again, as we come to your word, we pray that your spirit would speak. That you would pour out over us your truth this morning. That we would see more of your character. And more of the way that you would like us to be. We pray, Father, that you would change us by the power of your Holy Spirit as a result of being in your word together this morning. We look forward to what you have to say, Father. And so we give you permission to rearrange our furniture for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, at first glance, this account uh, seemed rather innocuous, right? Not that giving sight to a blind man isn't a big deal. Um, But thinking of the strategic nature of the accounts of the Gospel of Mark, This account seems to be kind of random. There's a blind guy. Jesus heals him. Nothing to see here. Let's move on. All right? Maybe I only think of it that way. I didn't get any amens there. Okay. Well, uh, maybe you just know me well enough to know that's just not true. That can't be the case. In truth, there are a lot of things going on. Um, There's actually a lot of blind guys in this account. Not just one. There's a whole throng of blind people. And the blind guy in this story is actually the least blind person there, other than Jesus himself. So here he sits, old blind Bartimaeus. Um, It's interesting when you see in a scripture, Bar, in front of the first part of someone's name, uh, it means son of. This is Bartimaeus is son of Timaeus, and the scripture makes it clear for us by saying that again. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. No, we got it the first time. Son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. Got it. So uh, Bartimaeus is not this person's first name, right? This is like uh, somebody, um, Tatiana's not here to correct me, named Davidovich, right? A son of David. That's same thing. I'm reading the brothers Karamazov. That's the only reason I can think of anything Russian. We don't have it in English. Johnson, I guess. But not quite the same. <laughs> so anyway, here sits old blind Bartimaeus by the side of the road, begging. This is the only occupation someone in his condition can have in this time. That's all he could do. There was no government programs to help, uh, to keep him fed and give him a place to live. 
some vocational opportunities. There's nothing like that. And the spot where he sat on the side of the road is most likely the place that he lived. Um, dependent on the charity of people going in and out of the city of Jericho. And by this time, the word of Jesus and his ministry had reached the city of Jericho. There's no speculation in that. Um, Word of the prophet from Nazareth had plenty of time to travel to that city. And now, Jesus of Nazareth himself was on his way through town. Verse 47 says, And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. Well, um, seems simple what he's really saying. But what is he really saying? Just, hey, come over here. I want to talk to you. That's not what he asks. What is he saying by saying what he's saying? There's all kinds of things. First of all, by calling Jesus son of David, he said, Jesus, son of David. He doesn't say, Lord Jesus, or hey you. doesn't say teacher. By calling him son of David, Bartimaeus is declaring, rightly calling Jesus the Messiah. Son of David is a messianic title. When you see that, it's a reference to the predicted Messiah, God's chosen anointed one to save um, Save the people of Israel. Save us from our sin. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill the work of Messiah. And it was appropriate for him at this time to accept this title from people. So when Bartimaeus cries out, Son of David, he's rightly doing so. And he cries out, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. What does he mean? Mercy and grace are often confused. Sometimes we couple them together like it's just uh, two ways of saying the same thing. But it's really not. Grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. Right? We used to say in youth group that we take the letters Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what you do at youth group, try to find cute ways to remember things. <laughs> or we did anyway. Um, that's, that's what it is. Grace, giving someone what they don't deserve is a gift. That's why it says we are saved by grace alone. It is God's gift to us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Um, but God, in his grace, offers it to us as a gift through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, mercy, on the other hand, is something different. It's not giving someone what they don't deserve. Mercy is not giving what someone does deserve. And what do we deserve? Thank you. You then pay attention. Right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Mercy is not giving the death that we do deserve. 
So when Bartimaeus says, have mercy on me, he's saying, don't give me what I do deserve. He's asking for compassion. Compassion for the miserable. That's what mercy is. And that was what Bartimaeus was asking for, the compassion of the Christ. When he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Christ, Messiah, have compassion. And now the crowd here in this account, this big group of people, which included the disciples, as we can see in their infinite wisdom, clearly saw a ministry opportunity, a chance for Jesus to bring glory to the Father, to serve and, and not to be served, like he had just said in the verses previous to this. Just as he had taught them, glorify God, restore this man to health. They are all fired up about that, aren't they? Mm. After all, they could clearly see, right? They could see great opportunity for God's glory and a kingdom to expand and a gospel to be preached. Amen. No. Unfortunately, no. They did not see great opportunity. They did not see... an a chance for Jesus to proclaim the gospel. They did not see a chance for God to be glorified. They did not care about a man being restored to health. Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was on his way through and began to shout, shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd in their infinite wisdom told him to shut it. Be silent. Knock it off, you jerk. Don't bother Jesus. He's got no time for you. Don't bother Jesus. You're not the kind of person he wants. Shut up. Don't bother Jesus. You're not in the right class. You're a beggar. You're not in a good social group. You're not part of our political party. Quit your shouting. That's a demonstration of blindness. The truth is, it was not Bartimaeus who was blind. He was the only one who could see. He could see his need. He could see his own inability to fill that need. And he could see that Jesus was the only one who could. The only one who could actually deliver God's mercy. He didn't call out to the crowd, have mercy on me. They had no power. He wasn't just looking for alms for the poor. Give me a few coins so I can buy food. That's not what he wanted. And the crowd, as they're moving through with Jesus, many of them actively just trying trying to get Bartimaeus to zip it. Stop bothering the Messiah. He doesn't want anything to do with you. You're a loser. Stay over there and shut it. So they're moving through, and that's what they want. Let's keep going to Jerusalem, and we're not stopping for anybody. In their blindness, they, couldn't, they didn't know. They couldn't see the mission of Jesus. Even though these, some of these men and women have been walking with him for a long time, heard him preach, heard him teach, heard him talk about the kingdom of God, and they still didn't know what he was really there to do. 
But Jesus here proved exactly what he's here to do. He ignores the crowd and stops and says, call him. Jesus ignores the crowd and calls the individual. Maybe that's ring a bell. Think about a story of a shepherd leaving the 99 sheep that are, he knows where they are in the pasture, but one of them is lost. And he leaves the 99 and he goes to find the one. This is Jesus' ministry. This is how he works in a world. Moving through the popular opinion of people to call the one to do the work that he's really there, what he has really come to do. The crowd says, hey, shut up, man. Don't bother Jesus. You're making too much of a fuss. Oh, uh, well, what we meant to say is just kidding. He's calling you now. <laughs> Let's come on. Drop your code. Let's go. We'll help you up. So in verse 50, old Bart jumps up, throws off his coat, and comes to Jesus. Despite what the crowd is saying. Be quiet. You're not important. We need to go this way. You can't because you're clearly debilitated and you're just slow us down. But Jesus said, call him. And Jesus asked him a question. If you were here sometime before, now I don't remember. Jesus asked this very same question. What do you want me to do for you? Do you remember that question? Were you here? What do you want me to do for you? Who else did he ask that question of? James and John. What did they say to him first? Like Bartimaeus just jumped up and come over to where Jesus was. He didn't say anything other than have mercy on me. James and John said, do for us whatever we ask. He said, what do you want me to do? And here, same thing, same question. What do you want me to do for you? James and John made a request out of pride. What do we want you to do? We want you to make sure that our seats are on your right and on your left in your kingdom. We want to be at the top of the heap. Oh, under you, of course, you know. Right? They they made their request out of pride. Bartimaeus made a request out of his misery, a request for mercy. The blind man said to Jesus, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Doesn't ask for a throne. Doesn't ask for a place in Jesus' kingdom. Just said, let me recover my sight. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. It's interesting, you said the word rabbi here. You've heard the word before. Um, usually translated teacher or master. But here in this particular instance, it's not translated from Hebrew, and it's not a Greek word either. It's an Aramaic word, which is the trade language. That's what most of these people would have been speaking at the time. It doesn't just mean teacher. It doesn't just mean master. In this instance, the tense of the word, or whatever the fancy technical term is, 
it's not just rabbi, it's rabboni, which doesn't just mean master, it means my master. It doesn't just mean teacher, it means my teacher. That's very important. My master, my Lord. This was Bartimaeus' declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. The recognition of his great need and his recognition that Jesus was the only one who had the power to fill his need, the only one who could apply God's mercy and to heal him. And how does Jesus respond when he says, My master, let me recover my sight? Verse 52. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So who is blind? Not Bartimaeus. He wasn't before, and he isn't now. The blind man was the only one in that crowd who saw Jesus for who he really was. Even the disciples don't really get it. They see it over and over and over again and still don't understand. But this man, this blind man, saw Jesus for who he was, the dispenser of the Father's mercy. And by faith, he was made whole. God's grace was the cause of his healing. The man's faith was merely the means of receiving that healing. That's what Jesus means when he says, your faith has made you well. It's God's grace through his faith. His faith is the bus that the healing takes to the stop marked Bartimaeus and restores his sight. But another thing Jesus said to Bartimaeus here, once he healed this man, he said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. Whatever way you choose, you can go now. And you see on the way. Bartimaeus could have chosen any way he wanted. Could have run back into town. He could have run back to the synagogue. He could have run back to his home, the family if he had any. He could have gone off shouting the praises of God and just faded into the fabric of the background. But he didn't. He could see better than anybody before Jesus got there. He could see better than anybody while Jesus was there. And after Jesus was there, he still see twice as good now. Jesus says, go your way. And he chooses the way of Christ. He follows Jesus on the way. Follows Jesus on his way. Now think about this. In a lot of ways, Bartimaeus is a picture of discipleship. It's a picture of what it means to be a Christian. He recognizes his great need. He recognizes his own inability to fix it. While for him, his need at that moment may have been physical blindness, but for everybody else, him included, the real need that every person has is a spiritual blindness. 
spiritual blindness keeps people from seeing who Jesus really is and who they are in relation to him. Spiritual blindness keeps people from seeing what their great need really is. We see the need for bigger house, bigger paycheck, more comfortable life, better smelling friends, whatever. But these are not great needs. Not at all. These are merely comfortable furnishings in a burning house. It doesn't matter how big your house is or how fancy it is if it's on fire. Bartimaeus saw his great need for what it was and his own inability to fill that need. But he also saw Jesus for who he really is, the Messiah, the only one who can dispense the Father's gracious mercy. Spiritual blindness keeps the world from seeing that. Say, well, Jesus was a teacher, if we'll admit he was real, right? Well, you know, he's a nice guy, tells other people to be nice. That's your truth. Not true for me, true for you, but that's fine. Just keep it away from me. That's spiritual blindness. The truth is the truth. That doesn't change from me to you to the next person. Spiritual blindness makes us think that. By calling out to Jesus... Even when everybody thought it was a bad idea, that Jesus wouldn't answer him, that this, this religious fanaticism was a waste of time. Come to your senses. You are who you are. Just accept it. You can't change that. None of this is real. By calling out to Jesus in the face of fear and doubt, Jesus heard him and answered him. He was healed physically, but more importantly, he was healed spiritually. And when he could see clearly, he didn't go back to life as usual. Now I can see. Well, here's my spot on the road. Great seeing you, Jesus. See you later. Right? No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't uh, go back to the way life was. Maybe just a little more improved. You know, just feeling like a little bit better person. I've learned some hard lessons. Maybe just a, a greater sense of spiritual awareness. Mm. I can feel the universe at work, right? When he could see, clearly, he followed Jesus on the way. He stayed with Jesus. He didn't go back to the way life was before, just a little bit improved, a little bit better off. He followed Jesus. He left that behind. Not like he was leaving a palace, but a mat on the side of the road, an old way of life, a way that just led to death. He left it behind and followed Jesus. Alistair Begg said, you'll never know Jesus as a reality until you see him as a necessity. That's the truth. That's what's going on in this man he saw Jesus as a necessity. He has a problem that needs to be solved. And Jesus is the only one that could solve it. And so he experienced the reality of God's healing physically and spiritually. 
He saw Jesus as a necessity first and then got to see him as a reality. And the same can be true of us. When we see Jesus as a necessity, we will see him as a reality. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. May the same be true of us. May we appreciate what Jesus has done and can do and will do for us and follow him on the way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy on this man and your grace that you saw fit to record it for us to read and learn. But not just to accumulate knowledge, but to apply that knowledge to our own lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to see our own great need and see that you are the only one that can fill it. Father, may our trust in you, our trust in your Son, be seen as a necessity in our lives so that we might see you as a reality. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.